Welcome to a football podcast with myself, Christian Jack, and Stephen Caldwell. Today we're going to chat about Manchester City's victory over Arsenal, the Goodison Park Cat, Alfonso <laughs> Davies and Bayern Munich, Barcelona get a mention, Sebastian Jovinko, of course. It's another update on Jovinko, maybe a final update, Stevie, on Jovinko yeah. for this podcast for a while. And it is the Montreal Impact Preview, and we're joined by Canadian legend Patrice Bernier on all things Montreal. I'm going to answer your questions on Montreal Impact as well, a team that is very close to Stephen and, and my heart, and we do a lot of those games on TSN. A friendly reminder, tickets are still on sale for our live taping of the podcast at the Rivoli in downtown Toronto. If you are interested in coming to the February 28th event, tickets are $20 and available for purchase right now at our own website at footballpodcast.com just hit the link and we'll go there but as usual we want to get right into the games of the week football just thick and fast right now big win for Gary Caldwell's Partick Thistle on the weekend as well a massive win a tough away trip to Inverness Caledonian Thistle and a 2-1 victory so it was nice to see they're in a little unbeaten run KJ five games they're going well shout out to Gaz and our our, uh, our, our moods on Saturdays are getting more dictated <laughs> by the uh, the results of Partick yeah. Thistle on Saturday afternoons and mornings when we're doing our show. Uh, we're going to get to City Arsenal as our main event in a second, but our little appetizer first on these games of the week that we do. We want to talk about Wolves-Everton, a game we covered on Saturday on TV. And I think this is interesting to talk about because we haven't talked at length about these two teams right now. Two teams heading in very different directions. Two teams who are not in the top six in terms of the big, sexy clubs in the Premier League. But boy, oh boy, do we get to see here an identity of one team that is clear, precise, uh, and, a, and a true team, and another one that is falling off the rails a little bit in Everton. Yeah, very concerning. Marco Silva's Everton really are, are devoid of any kind of ideas and, and, and pattern at the moment. And I think that is is a real worry. I know that there's, there's a, you know, a little bit of lack of trust in Marco Silva coming from think, the stands yeah. that's probably yeah. a little a, yeah, you know, a stands, nice yeah. way of staying from the stands I think and I mean the supporters there I mm-hmm. don't think they're fully behind Marco Silva at the moment I think they're seeing a, a coach who's you know, shown potential at the clubs that he's been at, but but never really stayed long enough to build anything and got to a point in, in this Everton season where, like I said, there's a team where there's many gaps in the defensive areas, isn't there, KJ? And, and there's also a lack of cohesion to the attacks. And that, to me, is, is very concerning for Everton. There's been a lot of turnover. they brought in a lot of players. You mentioned it, 270, 280 million at the weekend on, on television. Mm. That's a lot of money, but that sometimes takes time. The problem for me is it's not just about it taking time. I think they've got it wrong in a couple of areas, defensively especially. If they're going to play it from the back, they need better football players. And to me, Keenan Zuma can't do that. Any pairing that they've chose has is, is, is lacked that quality to, to play out from the back. One of their problems. And then the gaps down the sides as he asked the fullbacks to go high was very evident yesterday and Wolves exploited it. Now, let me get into this because I think you're the perfect guy to ask about this then. So it is clear that there's a number of concerns with the football club. Uh, we'll get into results in a second. Marco Silva came in and many people thought a bit of a breath of fresh air compared to the the, the just malaise, the just this awful, boring football yeah. under Sam Allardyce last season. It was a, it was like, okay. This is great, you know. It was night and day, you know. It was a complete different. Um, and then I think he starts to realise that maybe the style of that he's trying to impose on the club doesn't necessarily suit some of those players. Yeah. But is he going to be? Is it not a time now where he, as a top coach, needs to adapt 
to that, I'm thinking of Andre yeah. Villas-Boas here. Now, Andre Villas-Boas came into the Premier League, sexy young coach. He's going to be the next star in the Premier League. He's going to take people forward. And then he just flat out refused. Yeah. This guy flat out refused to bend away from anything that he wanted to. He played with high lines. Sean, he's a Tottenham fan. He can remember. Sorry for these reminders. <laughs> getting just destroyed by teams in the end. And it's those big... It's, it's those big losses and I'm thinking of the ones you know when you get murdered at home to Tottenham at home this year that stick with the fans minds that is not just losing a game that can last a long time that can tear apart a reputation of of a manager and Wolves could have had five or six in this game. It's just similar to the way that Spurs did at that. So at what point do we have to say, yes, you're a bright young manager, but are you, particularly with Pickford and particularly with Keane and Zuma or Mino, whoever plays there, that that part of the field, you've got to do something about that. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be out of a job. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And what happens is any young manager then hits a crossroads. And right. you have to be stubborn to play that style of football. So I don't just mean, you know, stupidly stubborn I mean, I mean you need to stick to your beliefs and what you're trying to do and to me that's when you hit this crossroads you're having some bad results you can tell that the fans are, are disappointed in the stands uh, angry at, at times and so do you go away from that just to win games go off the path that you're on mm. or do you stick to that path with the wrong pieces and to me I don't think Marco Silva will go away from it. I think this Pochettino's the same, Guardiola's the same, Klopp even in his style. Don't really go away from what they believe in. They're, they're so stubborn in the way that they stick to that that I think that he'll, he'll stay to that kind of form. It might cost him his job, but but that's the key to it. That As soon as you start compromising your beliefs and you start becoming a little bit... Uh, you know, wavy with your with your words and, and what you're asking from the players, then there's real confusion. Mm. And once that comes in, players then start to think, I'll take charge. I'll be in charge of the style of play. I'll decide I'll maybe ask to play in the middle here, but I'm going to drift out to left-hand right. side because it suits me a little bit more. It's a problem. It's a big issue. And I think Marco Silva, like I said at the start here, is really at a crossroads here. I think he has to stick to it. I, I'm always in the belief that you, you stick to your beliefs. You keep playing a certain way. He was brought into Everton to change a style of football. The only thing that, the, the biggest thing I should say that I think he's getting wrong at the moment is first and foremost, you need to know what it means to wear that Everton shirt. Yep. You need to know what it, it takes to go out at Goodison Park and be brave to get on the ball and you know show that passion, show that commitment. And I didn't see enough players maybe I didn't see any players in blue doing that on Saturday. Mm. So that, that to me, will be keeping them up at nights just now. Okay, so then, as, as very often our, our football discussions, they, they go into a little bit of more of a, a big big detail football discussion than not necessarily the specific point for you and I. But I think this is fascinating because, okay, so then Marco Silva's not, he isn't going to change the way he thinks about playing. Yeah, so he's not, so. not going to do that. So, then we've got a football club right now who, in many ways, you would say, if you were to look at a club in the Premier League and pick one club and you'd say, OK, you need time. And it's not about wins and losses at the moment because you're not going down yeah. and you're not going to make the Champions League. You'd pick them. So, OK, so that would help. You think that would help him. But then you throw in a very educated, passionate fan base and suddenly they're not just picking on Marco Silva because they're losing matches here. The second point you brought up there about desire and will, 
is that going to cost him his job then? Because if tactically Everton are saying, well, this is way better than Big Sam and yeah, this looks good and we're working out and we're scoring goals and Richarlison's fun and Bernard come, yeah. Bernardo's coming in and he's been brilliant, you know. Bernard's been fantastic for them in certain games and sometimes he's drifted away. Do you know where my point's going here? Yeah, I do. Ultimately, it's almost a perfect example of saying, give a, give a man enough time. And we're always, I think we're always leaning on the managers giving more time than yeah. getting them fired. No one wants to see people lose their jobs. No. But something isn't right there. Something doesn't feel right at the moment. And, I'm, and I don't think, I'm certainly not going to sit here and criticise the fan base for targeting Marco Silva and creating that anxiety because I think they're doing it for a reason as educated fans. Yeah, and, and so you, you have to go back to what's the most important thing for their fans. You know, they, 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 they go to the pub or they head to the game with their, their kids and what do they want to see more than anything? Do they want to see exciting football right. and I'm not saying they're playing that at the moment by the way but yeah. that's what he's trying to play or do they want to see a team committed to wearing the shirt so you have to understand the community what it means to wear an Everton shirt how proud people are in their football club and their legends of the past what attributes they had when they played mm. in an Everton shirt I'm thinking about Duncan Ferguson David Unsworth uh, give me more we could go yeah, on Kevin Ratcliffe yes. Sheedy you name all the it, guys you know. all the guys yeah. Adrian Heath yeah. brilliant players Peter Reid all through the years they were committed they were tenacious they had quality but their, their biggest strength was their character mm. and I just think that Marco Silva in trying to find that football that he wants to play has forgot about that a little bit so for me the important part in the latter half of the season is getting players in the team that have the, the attributes to bring back a little bit of passion in the stands, not go away from the way you're playing, but just finish the season positively and then look to recruit some players with both the attributes in the off-season. Yeah, interesting. They also need to win some games that many people don't expect them to win and that yeah. might help with that passion as well. Here, here are the games in the Premier League they've won this year. Southampton at home, that was one win. Fulham at home, another. Palace at home. Brighton at home. Cardiff at home. And then you go all the way, go through to Burnley away, that 5-1 win on Boxing Day and Huddersfield away and Bournemouth at home. And that is it. Yeah, They are names that you should be expecting to win consistently and they're not winning any other games. And that's a concern. Um, before we move on to what happened at the Etihad between City and Arsenal, quick word on Wolves, the complete opposite yeah. of what we're saying with Everton. Just superb. Nuno Santos having a terrific season. Just recruitment's been perfect uh, style of play suits the players very comfortable in, in his coaching methods and, and what he's asking from them you just see a settled and, and happy team their performances have been brilliant and Donkers took some time to settle in thought he was terrific yesterday was, yeah. gave them a bit of steel played a bit for, further forward than I expected freed up Neves to, to be creative and do all the things that he's good at Diogo Jota is a player that I think has improved dramatically KJ from what I've seen of him this season in the Premier League just gets better better and better I like the way he's, he's been that threatened behind a little bit for him Jimenez is what rate Doherty Johnny we could go on every and player. on Bolly was magnificent was. yesterday every player is overperforming for Cody's the manager distribution yeah his yeah. distribution has been brilliant I think he's going to get an England cap soon yeah. I think he's on the verge of that he's, he's a terrific player he organises the back line such a settled side and, and, and such a, 
um, confident side in what they're trying to do. And it's, it's all down to the manager. It has to be. Settled side is one as well, is so important. You know, the continuity yeah. of those players. You know almost every week who's playing and the relationships on, and it just doesn't get discussed enough for me. Yeah. You know, it, obviously you can't play every single player every week when you've got a minute amount of games we're going to get to with City in a minute. But when you've got them and they've, they've not got many cup games and you can play every week and, the, you know, Cody's played every minute and Bennett's played every minute and, you know, you know, Doherty was just rested one game yeah. and, and, you know, you can go through the whole lot. They just they just know each other so well and the continuity is absolutely vital, particularly in defence. Yeah, the, the, the relationships are, are created through that consistency. It's, you know, no disrespect, Wolves have many top, top players, but, you know, when we get into like a top four side in a Liverpool and a, a City, there is more change because they guys are, are at such an elite level. But, you know, when when you're trying to create partnerships and you're trying to build on something, you need to give them that continuity to play together. And I think the back line's a great example of that. Bennett, Cody and Bolly. Bolly was suspended, but came back in and, and they're the mainstay. He knows what his best team is. If you're trying to get in that team, you've got a hard job because you, you can see the trust that Nuno Santos putting in, uh, you know, putting forward with these players. And, and so um, the competition for places is there, but the relationship is there because of the consistency of, of putting them out there week in, week out. The best 12 players on the pitch for Good, uh, Goodison on Saturday were the 11 in gold and the cat. Without <laughs> The cat was magnificent. Covered a lot more ground than he than a lot of them in blue, unfortunately. He was magnificent. Just, why did nobody go near the cat and get it off the I field? I fell for the cat, to be honest. <sighs> yeah. Nobody, nobody. nobody near him. No. You know? Even Pickford. Mind you, he didn't go near the ball either. He was a black cat before himself. (laughs) Um, Let's get to our main game. Manchester City 3, Arsenal 1. City were looking, we were looking for a response after a very poor performance at Newcastle in midweek. I think we got it, particularly in the second half. Arsenal, I don't believe, you know, really had any kind of goal threat at all in that second half. Just disappeared out of the game um, once that second goal went in. Not vintage City but in the end job done I think and the fascination for me was the lineup. you know the 11 comes out you're like where's everyone playing and then what we want to really get into I think yeah. here is the tactics of how they went and deployed that with Fernandinho really operating in that defensive mode as a back four without the ball and then as soon as they get the ball just steps into midfield then they go into a back three yeah yeah uh masterful tactician Pep Guardiola does it yet again he understands he needs the extra body at the back because of the the two up front at times but he creates the overload in the midfield so as soon as he's in possession Fernandinho steps into that midfield area he knows what Arsenal are going to play they're going to be in the the, the 4-4-2 it wasn't a diamond today was it it was more of a conventional 4-4-2 but he was maybe expecting the diamond but what he knew he needed to do was create an overload in the midfield steps forward he's there and then at the right times he drops back the flexibility and quality of a player like Fernandinho is there for everyone to see but a piece of genius from Guardiola to do that I really thought it was it was very special um, to, to see that Laporte then drifting to the left hand side Walker tucked in it was so lopsided wasn't yeah. it everything seemed to be heading towards that left hand side where Sterling played yeah where Sterling played we, we expected Bernardo Silva to be across there and Sterling on the right but Sterling was on the left hand side Look at where the goals came from. Every goal came from that left-hand side. Yep. The quality down that channel, inside that channel, or even for the, the, the best goal of the match, Aguero's second, where uh, Sterling played the nice one-two with Gundogan. He was free on that left-hand side. And these little nuances, these little intricate little things just happen because of positional play. And, and they're the best team at doing it. They, they really... Um, 
Guardiola thinks about football more than anybody else. Mm. He, he really takes every game on it and the merits of what the opposition is going to bring, the strengths and qualities of his side. And he got it right yet again. You have to say it was comfortable in the end. Yeah. And do you think that's maybe one of the reasons why he played Otamendi and not Stones? Because at that point, you need a bit more of a defender, do you not? In, yeah. in, in terms of to playing. First of all, it takes a special player to have to ask and to deliver what Fernandinho was able to do. Yeah. Because look, trust me, I. I would imagine that if most people could do that, that's the kind of thing you would want to do every game. Yeah. You know, flat four when, you've got, when you're facing against the possession of the ball, step up into midfield, add numbers and yeah. have the discipline to add numbers in there and also realise when you need to drop back. I mean, it's it's perfect. It's this kind of thing you think about more often. Yeah. Than, but m- many players, you can't just simply can't do that because they switch off or they don't have the even the, the technical abilities to do it. But yeah. So Fernandinho, first of all, they need to, to deliver that because he's able to do that. But I think Otamendi coming in helped that a little bit because he's just a little bit more of a defender than Stones would be. Yeah, so Fernandinho goes into midfield. They, they keep them camped in their half. It's very difficult for them to get out. What do they normally have to do with two up front as well is play a long ball to get out. That's why Otamendi's playing because mm-hmm. he has a physical aerial ability better than Stones, better than anybody else in the Man City squad to win the challenges. Right. And he gives Fernandinho time to come back. If that was Stones, I, I think he would have lost more of the challenges. I think he's a wonderful player, John Stones, but aerial strength is, is, is not his biggest attribute Otamendi's there to, to allow the rest of the team some time to come in don't think he lost a header Otamendi no. and you would pretty much expect that against Lacazette and, and Obama Yang but that's why the, the, the um, overload of players from Man City means that the first ball out from Arsenal was often long and Otamendi's there for that and I thought tactically they got it right I don't think they were at their game in the first half KJ I thought it was a bit more even Arsenal were in it but second half completely dominant yeah Arsenal over four years since they've won away from home in a big at a big 16 well that will continue they weren't in it were they? yeah they they're not good enough they're missing yet. major pieces that they need to add you mentioned Sterling earlier 59 Premier League goals and 41 assists at 24 years of age the youngest ever to get to 100 in terms of what being involved in goals I mean that's pretty remarkable for a player at that, at that young of an age um, a player that not that long ago Liverpool fans were just giving him a hard time people were talking about the price range I always say this when a player reaches in the top level no one ever talks about what he costs anymore yeah. nobody ever talks about it no one ever talks about 49 million it's a bargain, Sterling. isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. he just he's um his consistency has been absolutely remarkable. That's what I was going to say, that word there, consistency. That's what it's all about for him. And the evolution of his game has been really exciting. I, uh, I think Guardiola was a perfect coach for him, but now we see him play on the left-hand side. Intelligence went to come in, went to, to hug the touchline. Mm. He's obviously was a right winger, is still a terrific right winger. He plays false number nine. He can play a, a tandem with another partner up top as yep. well as he did with England at the World Cup. So many layers to his game now. He still lacks a little bit of composure when he's in front of goal. If he finds that, he is truly world class. He mm-hmm. could play for any team in the world. Um, and, you know, we've seen signs of, of that being there, but then other times he misses a number of chances. But I think he's a wonderful player, KJ. I think they're delighted to have him. His ability to to uh, play off either flank and, and create moments of brilliance in 1v1 situations. And the second goal was terrific with Gundogan. The, the left football across for Aguero just to tap it in was, yeah. was perfect and the weight of it and not an easy thing to do that dropping on your weaker foot to just guide it across the, the box like that and say to striker on you go tap that into the net was was just a brilliant play from he, Raheem Sterling he reads plays before they happen quicker yeah. than he's ever read them before no I mean yeah, he does. You, you just don't survive in a team he's like a, that do you no if you don't you know you, you, your speed of thought it's not just all about impulse or talent it's about 
becoming a smarter, more intelligent player. And he's yeah. far, far more advanced in those areas for me than he's been before. He is. And I honestly think Guardiola has been a big part of that. And yeah, can, be, you yeah. can see he's spending a lot of time with the lad and, and sort of teaching him the game. And his games went to another level because of that. You, you, it was such a smart piece of play to hang out there. And, and you, they managed to get Arsenal really narrow for, for the first time in the second half, in my opinion. Uh, first half, sorry. They bring them in really narrow. They overload the middle area. And he senses that. He stays out there really wide, gets the ball. Then he stretches them out. That's when the space is there to play the one-two in the moment of quality with the left football. It was a brilliant goal. Disappointing from Arsenal's point of view, but exactly what City were trying yeah. to do the entire game they knew they were going to be, be in that tight area drag them wide create a little gap and play through it before we move on um, Sergio Aguero, Aguero with his 10th Premier League hat-trick that is absolutely remarkable I think Eric Cantona had one uh, there's a number <laughs> of players who didn't even have more than one yeah. um, out there 157 Premier League goals in 227 Premier League games 0.69 goals per game that is at the same level almost as well Harry Kane's at 0.7 right now he's played obviously less games uh, it's just a little bit more than Thierry Henry at 175 goals in 258 games Alan Shearer 260 goals in 441 games at 0.59 goals per game you played with Shearer, you played yeah. against Henri. You said he was the greatest player you've ever played against. Yeah, um, this guy's in the same category, isn't he? He is. He definitely is. He's he's an unbelievable striker. His ability to be in the right place at the right times, his greatest attribute. Uh, again, I think he's brought more to his game in the last couple of years. I think he works harder. I thought his work rate was terrific today. He scored a hat trick, but he was he was always running the channels, creating space for other players, and he, he's the man that you want to be on the end of a chance, isn't he? I think. I'd probably even put him above Harry Kane. I think in the whole of the Premier League, I'd, I'd, if I had an opportunity and it was going to drop to a player, I'd want it to be Sergio Aguero. He's he's brilliant. He's so composed. The goals today were obviously simple little tap-ins, but you have to be there. Not a lot of people score their goals and testament to his quality. Uh, left foot, right foot, out the box, in the box, headers, scores every type of goal. What a signing for Manchester City. Yeah, for me, the greatest Premier League striker of all time. That's how good he is, um, yeah. and you know, and and I know people would say that we we've named them, uh, and sometimes it's th- this this kind of discussion just comes down to personal preference. Yeah. Anybody who wants to argue with me, that's fine. You're allowed to have Shearer, <laughs> okay? You're allowed to have Henri. Yeah. You're, you're you're allowed to have Harry Kane. It, but for me, he's the greatest, yeah. and he's the player at that level that in an era where the attacking attacking football has never been more. It, it, it is. It is. It, the game has never evolved as quickly as it has in terms of attacking football. He's mm-hmm. evolved in that, and at a level where teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona and Bayern Munich and people have have, have, have said they're dominating European football, and people have talked down about the English Premier League. He's never really flirted with any of those. He stayed in the Premier League, and they've all looked on with envious eyes throughout that entire time. You know, yeah. But this is a player that's played in the league, in La Liga, and, and we know he could do it anywhere. Yeah, he could do it anywhere he wanted. And you know, it's it's been a joy to watch him play at the height. When he first came over to the Premier League, he scored that marvelous goal in his debut on the Monday night. I was just thrilled because I'd followed his career. I remember being at BMO Field in Toronto for the 2007 Under 20 World Cup final when he scored a terrific goal for Argentina yeah. in the South End. And 
when he came to City, I was like, City was still not the City we know now. And I was like, okay, is this going to last? You know, you just hope that it does as a fan of the game. And it has lasted and he stuck it out. And he had his injury concerns, if you remember the first few years. But yeah. Last few years, he's just been flying. You know, he has been, he's been playing 30, over 30 games. And, and your point about his work rate, Guardiola again has made him better. There's, it wasn't that long ago you and I were having that discussion about Jesus coming in. And yeah. I think that's made him better as well. He's a perfect example for competition of places and raising his game. Um, so he has everything. He has everything. He can score goals with both feet, his head outside the box. You know, today, three goals, three touches. He's yeah. a poacher as well. Um, just an absolute joy to watch. Yeah, a joy to watch. And, and Guardiola challenged him to find more to his game. It wasn't just enough to put the ball in the back of the net. It had to be, you know, an important player for the team. Link up play, run the channels, or run the channels, Manchester City, but work hard to, to, to get, you know, uh, press people and, and to bring other people into the game and I think he's found that and I think he brings so much to this side and credit to him he, he took that challenge on didn't he you know he could easily have like you said KJ playing any league in the world he could have tail between the legs went yeah. back to Serie went to Serie A or back to La Liga or any other quality league Bundesliga went to any club but he wants to stay I think he wants to create real history he has done already but he's in the top three Manchester City greatest players of all time in my opinion possibly one I know you would probably pick him one I pick David Silva is first in that but you put the two of them alongside each other because they've been there that long and yeah, part of I'm all the you. recent success I can't argue with that the only thing I, the only, and I love David Silva the ultimate space invader um, the only thing I'd say is the hardest thing in the game is to score Yeah, and Sergio Aguero has 105 Premier League goals in his last four and a half seasons that is absolutely <laughs> incredible um, alright let's get to our dessert let's have a continental dessert today. Yeah. Hey, um, Alfonso Davies in Germany came on for the last 13 minutes now uh, Canadian connection obviously that's why we're talking yeah. about it but interesting that they were down 2-1 at the time to Bayer Leverkusen and Iko Kovic said go on lad go on there try and get us a point which is interesting because many people thought when Bayern, Bayern were winning Goretzka again but when they went down everyone was thinking oh this is probably not going to be the time that Davies is going to get that chance because in the past it's been with a blowout so. yeah very significant that he got onto the field and uh, you know as Bayern Munich were trying to find a goal unfortunately they lost another goal and, and were defeated again maybe get to that more in a minute but delighted to see him come on and what I loved about it that it was very positive KJ he looked very comfortable in that shirt mm. got the ball in the first movement ran right at the full back the, the same characteristics that we saw in MLS with Vancouver Whitecaps driving trying to get to the byline cut the ball back Looks looks comfortable in the team. Replaced Hamas Rodriguez, yeah, <laughs> Colombian bad, international. Eh? You know, so th- this is the kind of uh, players that he's dealing with now, and that he's alongside, and his game's going to go st- from strength to strength. The lad's got absolutely everything. Uh, I-, I always thought he might really become a world class left back, but you know, I'm seeing them put him on in that higher area, and the ability to go past people is exceptional. And I think that once he starts to, you know pick things up as you can only do when you're playing with players uh, of the quality of Lewandowski and Nabry and could go on and on there's so many of them at Bayern Munich that you're going to pick little things up you're a sponge at that age as well yep. his game's going to go from strength to strength and I hope that he gets more opportunities I'm looking forward to his first start now that may come as Bayern Munich are right out of this race and Kovac is on borrowed time maybe he just throws everything out the window and he, and he goes to some youth that's what I'm, I'm praying for because I think it would be very important for his career Year, obviously. Yeah, quickly on that, we talked about it on the television side a little bit, and I made the point that 
maybe buying in turmoil, turmoil is helping him a little bit right yeah. now because they're trying to find different ways to fix this and they're not finding them. So maybe Davies becomes a part of that solution rather than going to a settled team that is winning everything as often Bayern has been over the last decade and continuity and Ribery and Robin are younger. And look, they're going to look to, I think, replace these guys and that might include replacing Alfonso. I'm not saying that next season he's going to look at him and go, yeah, you're my automatic starter. But what my point being is that, and this is really not even about Kovac because I'm not even sure he's going to be the coach next season. It's about the the higher ups and you know what Bayern's like. It's a a family, man. You got to prove to them people that you can play at that level and maybe now that might be the perfect time for him even though things are not going well for the club. Yeah, they'll be watching closely, KG, because you know, you need to have a certain presence to play for Bayern Munich. So, if he's timid and he's, you know, he's a bit reluctant to do the things that they signed him for, then they'll be saying, okay, this kid's not ready. Maybe we put him on loan. But what I've saw in the early stages, and it is very early, we have to be we uh, reference that that you know he's only playing a few minutes off the bench, but he looks like he belongs in that shot. He looks like he has a confidence and and the belief that he can cause damage in one of the best leagues in the world. And uh, it was a really good 14 minutes for me. Really positive. Disappointed about the result. Want to see him get some starts and see how he can progress his game. Talk about what it's like to play for Bayern Munich. I recently tweeted out this uh, interview I did with Bastian Schweinsteiger. You can just go on my Twitter feed about that. And Bastian gives an unbelievable answer about what it's like to play for a club like that. Quickly, before we get to Shawnee, I just wanted to have my little dessert in, in Spain on Barcelona. A tremendous game at the Camp Nou on Saturday. Barcelona 2, Valencia 2. Barcelona remained top of the table. Valencia moved to 8th with a very good point, even though it was just the 6th win of the season. Gamero after 24 minutes and Pareo after 32 with a penalty made it 2-0 and by the way it could have been 4 yeah. they absolutely dominated him in the first half an hour uh, Sheriff hit the post Daniel Vass had a bit a real great, great chance as well and, and I wanted to say to you Busquets was suspended right like sometimes I mean I love the guy and I think he's one of the greatest players of modern day football even though FIFA put out awards in the last few years top 50 players he's never in them it's a disgrace but you take a player out sometimes you're valued more than ever aren't you yeah. and like they ran through the midfield they had no answer for him in that in the, in the end they got a free kick Messi scored so a penalty Messi scored that and then he scored a great goal at the end 65th minute or something like that to make it 2-2 they were probably valued for that yeah. um, but my thought was this me and you always talk about succession plans for managers or anything at clubs you've always got to have succession yeah. plans Good luck getting a succession plan for this lad. I'm sorry, there's no other like, there's no one like him in world football. No, you take not. him out of the game. I'm telling you, there's nobody. You can ask Rakitic to try and do it. You can ask. It is absolutely magnificent, and he covers up so many flaws that that defense has had over the years. Uh, I, I just wanted to hear your take on it because he was. It, I just thought that's how, when I'm watching it. I'm like, you're never going to replace him. You're never going to replace. No, him. you you can't replace him. He is absolutely exceptional, and he has been for ten plus years. And unfortunately for him, he played alongside Iniesta and Xavi. Right. So he's never going to get the credit or the, the recognition that he deserves because they two were wonderful players and they were more creative and, you know, magnificent. But he is in that trio for me. He allowed them to play exactly. that way. And he mops up stuff. He plays great forward passes. He's not just a defensive player. He can play centre half, can play absolutely anywhere. So cultured on the ball. I, I love Sergio Busquets. I think he's terrific. That player is the the, the the hottest commodity in world football, yeah. isn't it? You know, we're talking about Fernandinho there and his ability to play from the back to the midfield and what he brings to City. When he's out the City side, they're mile short. Busquets is the same at yeah. Barcelona. Every big club in world football needs one. Yeah. And a lot of them don't have them. They don't because there's not enough of them, KJ. There's, there's what, 
four or five in the world. Martinez maybe at Barcelona falls into that category, but he's not as good as uh, Bayern, sorry. But he's not as good as as Busquets and Fernandinho. They, to me, are the best two. Canty's moved into a more forward role. He does it a little bit different, but... Who else is, is a, a, a truly, genuinely world-class holding midfield player? And yeah. Busquets is so important. He's getting on a little bit in years, but I think he's got a good few years left in the legs yet. Yeah, let's hope so. Tremendous, tremendous player and uh, one that maybe many people won't truly realise how elite he is until until he's gone. Let's go over to Shawnee for um, a brief look at headlines. I wonder what we're going to talk about here. <laughs> <laughs> Only one headline this week. Uh, Sebastian Javinko transferred out of Toronto FC for 2 to $3 million, as per reports by Christian Jack. Um, obviously, let's get your final words on this transfer. Uh, I think this is this will be the last time for a long time we talk about Sebastian Javinko. Final thoughts, and then what is next for Toronto FC? Wow. Yeah, where do you want to go, mate? <laughs> well, first of all, it might be the last time we talk about him for a long time, but we've got a little theory that we may get to at the end with yeah, Sebastian we'll Javinko. But yeah. let's talk about the transfer first. Uh a sad end to what was, you know, an amazing relationship between Sebastian Javinko and, and Toronto FC, a player that, that came across from Juventus looking to revitalise his career in, in 2015. And boy, did he do that and did he save a franchise. The, the greatest player ever to play in, in the red of Toronto FC, no question about that. He, his output, his goals, his assists, his first season, in my opinion, was the best ever performance by a player in MLS over a, a, a season. He was terrific. If he had better pieces round about him, he would have won MLS Cup for his, his, his club that year. Um, and in the end, unfortunately, he wanted longer. He felt he deserved it. He felt his past uh, deserved a future and to me that doesn't happen in football you have to consider what someone's bringing at that moment he was on too much money he wasn't going to get that money from Toronto FC because of a change of direction in the football club and because of the substantial figure that it was at Toronto said they offered them something he said it was was nowhere near what they said it wasn't enough and it ended horribly unfortunately in the end but I just want to go on record to say a teammate of mine for a short period of time and, and one of the best players I ever played with yeah it changed the culture of the club um, you know I, I wrote a, a very long piece about this on, on fantastic as well thanks uh, about Jovinko and so you know my, a lot of my thoughts are in there as well but ultimately I, you use the word sad and, and that's how I felt and this is you know we're not, we're not supporters we're broadcasters Um but ultimately, it's it, it could have been it could have been prevented. I, I felt we just talked about one of the greatest players in Premier League history in Sergio Aguero, yeah. and Toronto FC and Sebastian Jovinko both play a part in being culpable in this. But that, that Jovinko could have been that for Toronto FC, the way that people remember Man City and yeah. Aguero, um, and they'll still remember that. But it's only four years. And four years is not that long in football. You know, when you look about reputations of, but what he was able to accomplish and, and, and turn a, a franchise around, um, I, I think will be will make him arguably one of the most important members of that football club in the history. Yeah, because of the way that he got it. Now it brings us to a crossroads again for the club. And how do you replace him? They are going to replace him um, with with the money that they went to him and the DP slots. Yeah, but how does that player replace him on the field? That yeah. is the biggest point going forward, and that'll be fascinating we can't fully judge as jurors here as I've said this before we can't fully judge um, and come to a verdict about whether this was the right decision until we see what Toronto FC do in North America the mindset often is who won the trade who lost the trade yeah because that's what happens in North American sports but this is this is a trade that is yet to develop because Jovinko has been moved out 
and the next player to, is yet to be announced. Yeah. And so until that player comes in and then starts to show what he can do on the field and players like that, when they come in, there will be no honeymoon. Fans will be, have no. every right to go, what are you going to do for me right now? And, 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 and whoever comes in and it's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see who they get and be announced soon. Um, that's when we'll be able to know. But it was a very sad and I think preventable situation. Yeah, I, I want to just mention a little bit what I think it means to be a designated player in MLS and, and the pressures that that brings and and then reference Javinko in that. It, it's absolutely phenomenal that you have a guy who's on millions and millions and you have a teammate who's on 40, 50, 60 grand. I think we're up to about 60 now minimum salary. Yeah. So with that comes a great deal of pressure. You've got to be a leader, you have to deliver on the field. You have to be everything off the field. You have to be someone that these guys look up to or uh, an example. And there's not many live up to that. And, and Javinko was one of the guys who lived up to that. Not a uh, you know a, a leader in the conventional sense. He wasn't a shouter. He, Italian occasionally. Occasionally he was. And, and he found big moments he when he had to. And he, he, he led a team because of his ability and attributes on the field and, and I think he was a wonderful DP and I, I think the three guys that TFC have all played their part in, in, in being a, a you know a, a trio and, and, and great examples for that squad but Javinko was the talisman Javinko was the one that everyone looked to for a moment of magic at the right time and, and so trying to replace that is not easy it's not just about going into a league in Europe or South America and finding a player it's finding the right fit it's finding someone who can deal with that level of responsibility and take it on it's not going to be easy he's left a massive hole of goals and assists he's left a big hole of salary and we'll see how much uh, the parent company MLSE yep. want to spend of that but there's an opportunity here for the team to change direction a coach in Greg Vanny who we know would maybe like to play a different kind of style he can go out there it doesn't have to be a number 10 a number 9 a conventional centre forward and go and get a wide player he can get a more creative midfield player with that money so it'll be interesting to see where they go and what kind of direction because if the guy doesn't provide the goals and assists that Javinko does, did, sorry. Someone else has to step up 100%. and do that. And that's going to create real pressure on the person replacing him. The final thought I'll say is that I've read a lot about Javinko and his age and his legs. Um, the, the, the player is not 35. The player is 32. And if you could have somehow got a contract started this year that with a long-term deal that he'd been accepted and renegotiated that deal for this year and into next year and, and, and put a multi-year contract together for his playing age seasons, which is what often sports executives talk about. His playing age season this year is 32, 33, 34, and maybe 35. I would have maybe have gone to that if they could have come to something. Then I think I would have said, I think that would have been the right decision. Now, obviously money is a lot down to it as well, um, but it doesn't sound like they were truly close. Um, but of course, we'll never truly get the full answer when you've got Sebastian Javinko saying wanted to take less. And then Ali Curtis told me this week that he never moved off a number. They wanted to stick to this number and they, yeah. ne they never moved off that number either. Um, yeah, let's finally end on our thing. I don't think he's done at MLS. No. I don't think he's done in MLS. I think we'll see him again. Uh, I just have a feeling, and then I, pre I preface that by saying that he is only 32, signed a three-year deal. Um, imagine what he's going to be like in two years, and he'll yeah. only be 34. He'll only be 34. He might have another three years of professional football in him. Yeah. Uh, and um, at that point, maybe he's had enough of where he's living or he just wants to move somewhere else. And then maybe he'll be back in MLS. And who knows? He might not be at TFC, but he might be back in MLS. And yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure there'll be a, a long lineup of clubs that want to bring him back exactly. at that point. It probably wouldn't be the same number in salary. And Definitely so that makes not, him no. 
absolutely desirable for everybody, doesn't it, to, to come back. And we've got a feeling that after a year or two in Saudi Arabia and earning the, the reputed sums of money that he's going to be getting yeah. there, then he might just fancy another challenge back in MLS. Yeah, final thought on him again. Good luck to him. Every, yeah. credit, every credit that he's got, his move. Um, like I said, we're not fans. We were, it was a privilege to just do, do, continue to broadcast this game. It was very good to me for a lot of interviews yeah. and you as a teammate in interviews as well. So we wish him nothing but the best. Absolutely. A good friend of mine and we, I hope he does really well across in the, in the Middle East. And uh, yeah. Let's turn our, our attention now down the 401 and focus on the Montreal Impact. And let's get Canadian legend and former Montreal Impact man Patrice Bernier on the phone to chat about the 2019 season. Okay, now pleasure to be joined by Patrice on the phone. Patrice, thanks for joining us on a football podcast with Stephen Colwell and myself. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about the schedule. Obviously, you know Montreal and the situation there with the weather and the moving away from the Big O. Eight of the first nine games in 2019 are going to be away from home. That's far from ideal, Patrice, is it? And, and do you think that is something that is better for the team in terms of making Saputo Stadium a little bit more of a home? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's always going to be uh, difficult at the Montreal Impact because the seasons, are, especially since we've uh, diminished the number of games at the big goal, so you usually start the season four or five games on the road at a seven, and now it's going to be eight out of nine, so it's going to be a, a big test. Uh, but then after that, they get to catch up. I think it's sometime from May to August, July, they play seven or eight games at home at a time. Uh, so it's going to be important. It's going to test the team. Uh, this is the second year, so Remy, I think, is, is more prepared to what is MLS like on the road. You can say on the road, that's where the foundation is built. That's where the camaraderie uh, strengthens if you get the, the right result. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, they're going to have to find some ways to, to get points. So that, like, uh, unlike 2018, uh, it's not going to haunt them at the end of the year, uh, beginning of the season. If I'm correct, if I remember TFC, when the Demo Field was being uh, built or renovated, uh, I think they had played something like that, eight out of ten games on the road. They managed to get a good result on the road, and which helped them towards the end of the season to, to make the playoffs. So, so yeah, it's going to test the character of the team. And it's going to be something that's going to have to get used to because uh, the, I think the Montreal Impact, the games at the big goal, are going to try to be reduced. So this is going to be something uh, that's consistently going to be happening at the beginning of the season for the Montreal Impact. Patrice, talk to us a little bit about Maxi Aruti, an ex-teammate of mine in TFC and a player of proven MLS quality and experience and, and maybe a little bit about Zakaria Diallo who obviously had that horrible injury at the, the start of last season and, and how he's getting on and probably areas of, of improvement that the impact might be looking to, to bring some extra additions in before the start of the season. Yeah, Maximiliano Arruti, everybody was very welcome here in Montreal in terms of the announcement. Before, the, you know, he's got the experience of the league. He's been here for, uh, I think it's, it's going to be a, a sixth or seventh season. So he knows the league well. He's proven to score goals. I think he's the type of striker that's going to look at, you know, going to look at like eight to nine to ten goals a season, but he's going to be playing with Nacho Piari, so maybe that'll open up, uh, even more. But uh, I think his profile is something that Remy Guard likes. Uh, forward that moves a lot, very dynamic on the front line. 
uh, probably can help out in terms of defensively, but I think it's a handful for defenders because he's always consistently moving and has proven in the past to score goals against the Montreal Impact. So that probably was uh, somewhere uh, in the line where uh, they were able to wanted to go get him. Uh, so yeah, and, uh, we've known in the past two years. I think the number nine position has been something since Drogba has left. That uh, in Matteo Mancuso since 2016, where we uh, maybe been lagging. So somebody, a true goal scorer, who can take away some of the pressure from Nacho Piatti. And Nacho is getting older also. And he's got the right age. He's at 28, 29. So it's going to uh, welcome addition to the to the club. So I think he, it's going to be interesting to see his combination, his, uh, his uh, connections with uh, Nacho and uh, the rest of the front line and what he can bring to the team uh, right from the get-go. Uh, talking about Zakaria Diallo, I think personally last year he was a piece that really missed from what I've seen in preseason uh, because he, he has a profile of a stereotypical, I guess, say MLS defender. Very big, athletic, he's, uh, very decent on the ball. Uh, on set pieces, I think could be a handful. But we didn't get to see that because he uh, tore his Achilles uh, <laughs> before the first game of the season. So, and I think that's where it uh, unbalanced the impact where we we had to find the solutions at the back very quick. Even though they fought Rod wrong, Fanning, wrong it took some time for the the, the back line to, to really get in sync and the, the whole defensive unit. So I'm, uh, I'm hoping to see what I saw in preseason and that he's able to show... Uh, what I think people were hoping for uh, last year, last season, and and also big shoes to fill because Rod Fanny is not a, is not coming back, uh, and so uh, and people really like him and I think he performed well, so uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, he's going to be a player, uh, hopefully uh, uh, resumes from where he uh, left off from preseason in 2018, solidified the defense, good with the ball. Uh, but now he has to adjust to MLS because he didn't get to play that season. So uh, there's always that factor I feel for players who come from abroad, especially from Europe, where uh, you uh, you got to adjust to the type of striker or maybe the type of player or the maybe uh, the up and down tempo style that there is in MLS sometimes. Uh, so it's going to be uh, two players that I think can help out a lot. And uh, if they do, uh, the impact can be looking to uh, to do better than last year and uh, even improve, not just for making the playoffs, but maybe in terms of the rankings in the East. Yeah, so let's hope so. Patrice, I want to ask you about the, the city of Montreal and, and their love for, for the impact and also the game of, of, of um, the, the game of soccer as well, particularly 2026 World Cup coming on as well. Um, the, the club has a new president, obviously Kevin Gilmore coming in and he, and he said in one of his interviews recently that the Habs were not a competition for them, that they still wanted to believe that there's still a lot more fans out there to, to come towards the impact and find the impact and get behind the impact in terms of going out there and, and, and supporting them and with the jersey sales and obviously going into the crowd and, and spending the money on the tickets. What's it like there? You, you, I know you love the game and you love Montreal, so it's two your loves. But what, what is the culture of football like in Montreal, and how have you seen it evolve over the last few years? Well, I think here the culture of football has always been there. Uh, now the question was always who's a supporter of soccer and Montreal Impact, and who's just a supporter of maybe Champions League, uh, European Championships, or the World Cups. Uh, that's always been uh, the question as to uh, the soccer culture. Uh, the, it's t- ties. Are, we, are they really completely linked 
to the Montreal Impact. That's where maybe there's uh, there's work to to do. Uh, so uh, in terms of being from here in Montreal, I know the team well. I know you know you see it when there's the World Cup, when there's big events. Uh, people flock to it when it's a soccer event. So, and now uh, it's how to get those people to hook on to the impact because I think the lower fans are there. Uh, it's just to try to give, grab even more and probably in terms of the season ticket holders, uh, try to get more so the club doesn't have to rely on the last minute uh, game day to know if they're sold out or not. And that helps in terms of, uh, you know, business operations and the plans that you have for the future. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Kevin Gilmore came out and said that I think something that's very evident is that the club, the Impact has done a very good job in the last few years to become, if you can say, second sports franchise uh, in the hearts of the Montrealers. Uh, but there's still a market to, to grow and to grasp it. And it's not the competition who's on the podium. It's just to say to the Montrealers, uh, you can love all your sports franchises the same. Uh, and especially one that's growing in a, in a league that's progressing tremendously and uh, and that their support is going to be even more vital for the Montreal Impact to, to, to be able to battle with all other franchises, not just on the field, but in terms of clubs, uh, merchandising and uh, clubs, uh, fan support, uh, so that the, 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 the Montreal community is behind its team and that the Montreal Impact uh, have great results on the field and off the field also. Patrice, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. You're a man, a player who has so much to give back to the game in many different areas. Please give us a little bit of insight what you're what you're up to. Uh, yeah, uh, I never wanted to be go too far away from the game. Uh, I think uh, uh, when I came as a player, I had a somewhat responsibility of... Uh, keeping the uh, Canadian soccer and uh, Montreal Quebec soccer uh, alive, and now that I'm uh, retired, uh, still at the academy, helping out uh, the next generations to to make the step to the pros and, uh, and represent the Montreal Impact or uh, hopefully the, the, the Canadian national team uh, on the, on different levels and youth levels. And uh, then also I do a little bit of TV on TV Sport to cover the league. And, uh, and, uh, now, uh, uh, able to, uh, do other events. I have my own events called Patrice Bernier and Friends, where for charity, uh, try to use, uh, the game as a connector, as uh, somebody that uh, people flock to the game, that I'm able to generate funds for different, uh, different foundations. And, uh, slowly just trying to keep to grow the game here in Canada. We know that the World Cup is coming in 2026, but, uh, we, uh, we still, uh, we still have to make it grow from the grassroots and up. The men's national team has to have, do its part, but I think all the other actors, uh, like myself who have played and are from, uh, from Canada or, or not can, can uh, help the game be even more established, uh, where the, the people flock to their clubs. But then after that, when the, they see the the Maple Leaf of uh, the men's of uh, the men's national team or the women's national team, uh, we're we're supporting that all together. So I'm invested into uh, growing the game over here and across the country. But I'll start locally and see how far I can go after that. 
Yeah, Patrice, your love for the game is infectious. You're a real gentleman, and, and we appreciate you joining us. One final question before before we let you go. Um, I'd be remiss not to ask you about this. The last three years of, of Toronto FC, Montreal Impact rivalry, I'm talking 15, 16, 17, you were in the middle of it. Stephen and I were, were smiling about this, about it. You were unfairly sent off. We're going to say this. You were unfairly sent off in the game. It was a disgraceful decision. Uh, we can say that. You can't say that. But now it's over. How do you look back on those great rivalries, knocking TFC out of the playoffs the one year, the two-legged final, obviously, the, to try and get into MLS Cup and then the Canadian Championship rivalries. Now you're out of the game. H- how do you look back on those? And, and and can they be big magical moments to continue the rivalry and, and help Canadian soccer? Uh, yeah, I think it's important. Uh, as a Montreal, for me, there's always been the rivalry. Once you play against the team from Toronto or TFC, it's always. But I would say, like you said, it in 2015, I think on one side, uh, Jovinko's Bradley Altidore arriving. TFC was showing that, okay, we are, we're taking this to another level. We, uh, we want to be another type of franchise, a successful franchise. And we on our end were just young from being in the MLS, wanted to show that they, it's not because we were in the USL not too long ago that we cannot be a successful franchise. And everything just culminated to those playoffs, like you said, in 2015. 2016, uh, look, it generated 90,000 90, fans came to just watch, sit down and watch the game. And, uh, and then, uh, with all the support from the, on the, t- uh, from the TV side, I think it was some of the games that were the most watched on TV. And, uh, and yeah, and just the, the animosity, the, the competitiveness every game. And then by the end, you could, my example, my perfect example was an American guy like Altidore felt Toronto or feels like Toronto at home was able to bring, uh, to, to, uh, to say certain words that they wanted to, you know, knock out the impact from the playoffs at the time. It shows to me that now the rivalry has grown more than just the local kids or the fans is the players who come into those clubs are now invested in representing that which club is the best club in Canada and still connects with the Whitecaps. Uh, and uh, it's just to see that fierce rivalry. Uh, hopefully it can maintain itself. It needs to maintain itself. I think it's the playoffs and big games and the Canadian championships. That, that uh, Those are the things that stir uh, uh, club rivalry, uh, stir the fans to really want their team to, you know, uh, to, to, <laughs> to put the rest, if you can see, uh, 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 the other team. Uh, it's been great. I think those are the things that you need. Uh, when I, if I'm a kid, I think as a kid, I'm like, oh, I'm from Toronto. I look at TFC. I want to represent TFC. I came from Montreal, same thing. And then I look at these games and I want to grow and I want to be part of these games. Just like we talk about Real Madrid, Barca, uh, you know, Celtic Rangers, uh, River Plate, Boca Juniors. We're not at that level yet, but I think for those moments, 2015, 2016, 2017, uh, those games, for me, were the biggest rivalry in MLS. I know we talk about the Cascadia Cup or the New York Red Bulls, New York City FC, but uh, those playoffs in 2016 uh, just showed what people got to see what the rivalry is about. Montreal, Toronto, the cities, the language, the club, the way the clubs operate, and then the players that are at the club too. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to miss those games. Those are the games you miss the most. I don't know how you uh, see Stephen, but uh, I know that... Uh, uh, those are the games, yeah, that uh, last year, first game of the season was against Toronto. And that's where I go. Uh, those are the games that I still want to be on the field. 
the others, I don't miss uh, playing the season and the injuries and everything, but the adrenaline of those games is fantastic. And uh, I wanted to carry on because they will carry uh, Canadian soccer uh, and MLS uh, for years to come. Well, I certainly miss playing against you, Patrice, a great uh, competitor and a guy I always love battling again. So good luck with everything and, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, some great words there, Patrice. I've been covered your career for, for many years. It's great to have you back in Canada and involved in those memories that last a lifetime for many of us. So appreciate everything you continue to do for Canadian soccer and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, thanks. I appreciate it. Maybe we can make some uh, legend games and still continue that rivalry on. Sounds good, mate. Let's Give me a call. Done. Let's get it done. Uh, thanks a lot, Patrice. Thanks, Patrice. Patrice Bernier, a true legend of Canadian soccer and, and some, some great memories, particularly the ones at the end there. You can just see what it what it meant to him in terms of of uh, of, of of being involved in yeah. in those games, Stephen, and it's just the passion in his voice when he talks about it. Yeah, and, and I'm delighted that he's still involved in the game. I think we have to make sure that we keep people like that within in the game. Obviously, he's always going to have a connection to his club, Montreal Impact, and that's terrific. He's, he's a great ambassador for football. He's represented his country in some great occasions, and I reiterate, I, I always love playing against him. A, a true competitor, but did it in the right way, and uh, very professional. Always great to have Patrice Burney on the show, an absolute class act. So I'm going to continue our Montreal Impact preview show over to Sean Kay now with hashtag AskAFP. Everyone, uh, just make sure that uh, we use at uh, a football pod and That's use right. the hashtag ask AFP. Let's move quick because we have a lot of questions. And thank you very much to the Impact fans for, uh, for engaging with us. Um, Daniel asks, Piatti Watch has already started for 2019. He said it was his last season in Montreal, but this week he sort of came out and said it depends on family health and and the uh, the potential. He still wants to finish his career in South America, but there's still a chance for 2020. Do you think he returns beyond this season? I would hope so. Um, I did a lot of things on Piatti when I was recently in LA, sat down with him and also asked a lot of other players about him for a future feature that I'm working on for TSN. And I know this, he has got the respect of the league at a very high level. And, it, it, you know, there's somebody would say to me often, a journalist in the States often would say, you know, he's the most underrated player in MLS. And I would agree with that. But I'll tell you this, he's not underrated with his opponents because they don't even think about him being underrated. They think of this guy, Stephen, as the the elite of the elite. I spoke to Bill Hamid about it. I spoke to a few goalkeepers. They're like, when this guy hits the ball, the ferocity off the shot is some like is, is unlike any of anybody else in yeah. Major League Soccer. That's how good he is. Yeah, he's, he's terrific. And normally that's a good barometer, isn't it? When you see other players and the respect that they have. Yeah. When you play against a guy, you know his quality. You can see it there. And, and all around this league, Piatti is, is very much respected and a player that, that everybody would love on the roster. I, I hope he stays. I, I can understand his desire to go back home, but a uh, brilliant football player. And we want him to stay in MLS. He's been a little bit unfortunate at times, actually, I, I think. I mean, you, you just mentioned that he's one of the best players in this league. He's been talked about in the MVP uh, stats at times, but I think he's been unfortunate not to have won an MVP. He's been that good for his club. He's He's been vital for Montreal for a number of years since he got there, hasn't he? He's just, just yeah. so important. Yeah, and also played 
as a nine in occasion last yeah. season because he couldn't find that goal score, particularly in the games against Toronto FC. Remy Gard did it more than once. Um, I asked him about that as well, and he gave the, obviously the standard answer: I'll, "I'll play wherever the coach tells me." But I think you know that we'll see less of that. We'll get to a routine in a minute. We'll get to see less of that. But it does go to show Piazzi's just a I mean, his tactical versatility as a front in, in the front three is, is exceptional. Yeah, he's very versatile. There was a game at BMO Field last season. Was it with Jamali and, and Piatti played as two yeah. number ten? That's what they want. Unbelievable. So it was. Him, yeah. He was terrific that night, wasn't he? He was absolutely brilliant. His best position is off the left because he comes inside. He can take you down the line, but as he comes inside and he whips that shot, uh, it's almost unstoppable. It's, it feels like it's you know almost like a penalty kick when he's mm-hmm. coming in on the the eighteen yard line and he's putting that one across the goalkeeper. I love him. I love watching him. I love his work rate. I love his determination. I think he leads his side really well. And if Montreal Impact are going to have a good season. Ignacio Piatti is going to be at the forefront of that. This one's for you, Stevie. Uh, yeah. you, you spent some time with Maxi Arruti. Um, very briefly, as you said earlier, um, what was your thoughts on him during that time? And then has it changed? And what do you think of him now? That's for the both of you. Yeah, uh, I did spend a brief time with, with Maxi. And, and very brief. Yeah, very brief. Unfortunately for, for Maxi, you know, he was only two appearances at TFC in I don't know, four or five weeks probably in total and it's such a shame because he came with a great reputation from New Old Boys and he was a player that needed time to adapt to, to uh, MLS. He's a young designated player. They're always going to need time. He's coming from you know a different uh, style of football and he wasn't afforded that time unfortunately for him but I'm pleased to say he didn't go back to South America. He, he went to Portland first and then did pretty well there and, and really found a home in Dallas. I thought he was brilliant for Dallas, KJ. I'd like to hear your thoughts in a minute. But a player that um, got better and better or has got better and better. And I'm excited that he's back in Canada because I want to see the best of him. I really think him and Piatti, and I still think they're maybe missing one, one more off that, that right-hand side could be an absolutely dynamic front three that Piatti um, has that pace and agility and, and, and Maxi has it as well Ruti loves to run the channels he loves to create space for other people he's more than just a goal scorer in my opinion and um, and a great a great lad to boot I always enjoy played against him as, as well KJ very respectful young man and um, I hope he has a successful time in Montreal yeah I think he will I, I, I really like the signing and I think they, they signed him well they obviously got him for a trade and then extended him as well so they they think very highly of him uh, in Montreal. He, 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 he never gives a centre-back a second, does he? No. He's always buzzing around, even off the field, away from the ball as well, sorry. So you know, I like a lot of what he can bring to the club. Um, like you, I think they needed somebody who really has a relationship at a level of Piatti and, and yeah. football intelligence wise. I'm not saying he's at that level, but um, you know, we'll get to Silver in a, in a little bit maybe, but the fact that they lost that player... Remy Gard told me last year that Silva and Piatti spoke the same language. And what he meant by that was on the field. Football language. Yeah, football yeah. language. And so often I think that really helped them in their attacks last year as he went on that great run in the second half of the season. And Iruti will do the same, you know. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, they've been without a, num- a true striker for two full seasons. The fact that they've gone through two full seasons by just trying to throw out players and there's none of them have worked. Um, so look, it's going to be an outstanding signing for them and a very important one as well. A bit of CanCon coming in for you guys. Um, Ryan Byrnes uh, asks, which Canadian player should the impact uh, try, uh, target to improve the club going forward? Wow. Um, yikes. 
Uh, well, we we think Brogiar's coming in yeah, very soon, that's, so that's, that's an obvious answer, one. Yeah. He's, he's playing really well, you know, for for Leon's second team and, and a, a guy that we like. We saw little bits of him. Mm. We watched him train up at uh, Nottawasaga, yeah. uh, the, 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 where the the team are are, uh, are staying before internationals in Toronto, and he looked really good. KJ played some minutes in that game as well. So I'll be excited to see him. Other Canadians, difficult one, isn't it? Maybe. There's not a lot of uh, no. You know, if I was this, this time last year, I would have said a Tiba Hutchinson because I think that was yeah. a natural fit. I really did at that time to bring some solidity and leadership. Um, not sure about, and I'm not saying this is a massive difference to, to improve them, but uh, I'm not quite sure what's going on with Marcel de Jong in Mon- in, in Vancouver. Yeah. By the way, so um, you know, there's rumours about him moving on. I'm just thinking about squad. The thing that Montreal need is is depth. Yeah. They need depth of squad, and I know people would say, okay, well they've got Danny Lovitz, they've got Raitala. Do they really need a left back? It's just a thought. Yeah, it's just so. so they do need some more depth in the squad, and, and very often, by the way, Raitala was used as a centre back last season. So it depends how they view him as well. Yeah, and they also have a, a very good Canadian international, Samuel Pierre, one of the, the most important yeah. players in their team exactly. and for the national team. So they're looking pretty good in that regard. Yeah, first player ever, I think, last year to play for Montreal in every game and and, and go over the, the, the. I think it was three thousand minutes. Yeah. Then, so yeah. Marcus asks, it's year two for Remy Gard. Uh, the squad went uh, 11, 5, and 4 from June onward. Is this team ready to be a playoff team or is it still a bubble team? Um, I think they need to think like they're a playoff team. Uh, first of all, seven teams get in now. So it should be the least of everybody's requirements is to say that we should be trying to get, a, 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 you know, when, once you get to a, a seven teams in a conference allowing you to get in the plus, everybody should think we should be <laughs> yeah. a playoff team. You know, not everyone's going to do it. Obviously, simple mathematics, but everybody <laughs> should think that, Stephen. If you start the season off in MLS thinking we're not a playoff team, then you'd ask the point, what's the point of it in the first place? Um, last year, Remy, I think was concerned at the start that he would really have to try and put down his style of play on the players and wanted to show everybody right away what he was doing and then realized that actually I'm going to get more patience here than I've got in European football. And in the end started to adjust to that and realize, okay, I I don't need to play every game as if I need to win it. And I meant that in a positive, they lost 11 of the first 15 and everybody was breathing down his neck. And in the end, I think the calmness that he brought to the squad with his coaching staff actually helped them in the end. And they found an identity we talked about stability earlier with players and with, with Wolves. In the end, they almost had the same 11 churned out regularly. They brought Sanya over his era. That kind of helped them as well. Um, so I think if they can find that stability going forward and play the majority of the games the same 11, and you can't do it every game, I think that will help him. But um, look, I don't think the impact fan base, the city of Montreal, will accept another year significantly out of the playoffs for the majority of the season. That just won't be good enough. Yeah, it won't be good enough. And, and, and I think that they'll be very confident that they can make the playoffs for a number of reasons. I think Remy Gard took some time to, to settle into MLS. He didn't have the runway that he needed. He didn't have the squad ready going into that first game and it took such a long time to bring in some additions and get to a level and, and for him to have an understanding of the league and an understanding of his squad, KJ. He, he settled into the fact that they're just a very good counter-attacking side and that's what they've, they've been for a number of years and yep. he accepted that. He played more to the, the player's strengths and he had a magnificent second half of the season, very close to making the playoffs, uh, unfortunately falling short at, at Foxborough against New England in the last game. So I think they'll be very confident moving into this one to, to, to try and go full steam ahead. A couple of players short in a, a few areas, maybe another striker's needed. I think they have more of a wide guy and I think a midfielder needed as well. But I'm excited to see how uh, Remy Gard can, can take on from his first season and, and, and try and progress and improve this, this team and squad. 
Uh, speaking of strikers, um, Sofiane Benzaza asks, uh, before you read Yerudi, uh, why do you think it was so hard for the Impact to find a half-decent striker? It was either a hit with Devayo or Drog- and Drogba or a miss. And this goes all the way back to 2012. Uh, money, maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> that might be a reason. Uh, I just didn't spend the money on the player. And, you know, no one's telling anyone what to do to spend the money. But that's ultimately you get what you pay for. Yeah. You know, I will say, seeing the names of Devayo and Drogba, that I think they need to work really hard to get them back. And I'm not saying they need to be back as full-time employees living in Montreal, but I think they need to embrace them better. And Devayo came back for that playoff run with Toronto and we talked to Patrice earlier. And... You know, maybe I'm a bit of a broken record here, but I said it a few weeks ago with Toronto with alumni. I think it's so important that you develop the culture of this football club going forward and that you don't just keep moving on and churning away and just transition time. Yeah. What are you becoming as a club? And when you've got outstanding players like that who did something for you at your club, just move on and never speak to them or don't speak of them enough. Or I'm not talking about bringing them back and just having them clap to the fans yeah. one day. You, you yeah. know where I'm going here. I know what you mean. You, you're, you're looking for them to, to have a connection connection with the club that yeah. they played for to to bridge that gap between maybe Europe or, or Africa with Robert it certainly areas with recruitment regions. yeah exactly there should be a role or or some kind of consultancy thing there for the guys and, and and accept them into the club that's how you build the culture that's how you you create a real uh, outstanding football club and um, I, I would like to see that Devaya was was absolutely brilliant I played against him a couple of times and he obviously played against Drogba in the Premier League and his performances were, were great but the, the these guys bring more than a performance on the field. They bring an aura and a presence and um, a way of leading a new franchise, yeah. a, a sort of early team. Impact have been a team for a number of years, but in the top level of North American football in MLS, not so long. And a guy like DeVaio just allows your, your entire organisation to grow and to develop. Drogba was the same. And so then for, to say thanks very much and then sort of never see them again is disappointing. You want to keep hold of them, get them back involved. I think hopefully in the Ruti they have that striker, but Mancosha was decent for a little while and then he, he went off the ball. But you're right, Casey, ultimately you have to spend money. Mm-hmm. It's the most difficult area of the field. You said it with Aguero, putting the ball in the back of the net. It's the hardest thing in football. And to get someone who you pretty much know is going to do that. You need to spend the dollars. And with a rotate, it seems like they might have just did that. Uh, Matthew uh, would love to understand the relationship that Stephen had with uh, Daniel Lovitz. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and how did it affect Lovitz's career? They, love, assume- they love each other, these two. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've told this story before on the Stringer podcast with Clayton Hansler, but uh, Daniel Lovitz and I became very good friends we are very good friends and it it, it started when he obviously joined TFC but it it was quite a a difficult relationship in the beginning because I I pushed him I I asked him for more and and I knew he had the ability and I knew he actually had the mental strength to to give it and I just didn't want him to coast through months and years and then realise I should have been working harder. I should have been, uh, you know, more professional, more prepared. And uh, I'm not suggesting for a minute that he was, you know, miles away at the start, but I just saw someone in him, KJ, and I wanted to challenge him. There was a running exercise we were doing in, in Florida and, and he was coasting through it. And I remember uh, fitness coach Adrian Lamb, good friend of mine, mm-hmm. was pretty annoyed with, with Lovitz. And, um, I, you know, I just called him out. I said, Danny, it's miles away. It's not good enough. And, and again, he could have, 
you know, shrugged me off or ignored me. But no, he he looked at me and okay, I'll take that on. I thought, okay, we've got a kid here who's who's willing to listen, willing to work hard. Went from strength to strength. Didn't have the greatest time at, at TFC when the managerial change happened between Ryan Nelson and Greg Vanny, but didn't give up then. An attribute of his is his his mental ability and his strength to just keep going and going. He's just got two caps for the national side in, in January, so every credit to him. I think he's got more to give as well. I think this lad could become one of the best left backs in, in MLS if he's not already there. Um, great story. Um, <laughs> I, I got this. That, yeah. I got this from a uh, a few fans actually. And once again, thanks again to the Impact fans for uh, sending the questions. Um, how much do you think uh, Fanny and Silva's losses will affect the Impact this season? Yeah, the Fanny one is going to be interesting because we're going to. Uh, we talked about Diallo with with Patrice. Can he just step up and play yeah. as often as Fanny did? But you know, I remember when Rod Fanny was signed, we spoke to um, Remy Gard, and he, he almost was basically just, "Well, we're not really sure what we're going to get out of it." Yeah. You know, like he almost was saying, "We're going to put." He didn't say this, but it was like putting a band aid on a broken leg at that point. You know what I mean? And in the end, it turned out to be a plaster and yeah. covered everything. He was brilliant. So, um, you know, it'd be difficult to to replace that. Sanya's back, so that brings a little bit of experience in the back line, which is needed. Silver one, I think we talked about it earlier. Um, that's a very difficult player to replace because of the creativity that he brings in, in that in that final third. And maybe because we're talking about this now um, on the Sunday, that that's still to be done because they did make a recent trade to get to get some more flexibility yeah. to, to target that area. Yeah, absolutely. Rod Fanny was terrific. Uh, Remy brought him in just to kind of plug a gap and he ended up playing every single game and, yeah. and being the most important defender. He was he was amazing. And I'm disappointed he's not coming back because I just think his presence, his professionalism was, was really important. You mentioned it with Davayo and Drogba. KJ, a, a guy like that, you don't want to see him leave. Now, of course, it comes down to dollars and cents. Maybe he was asking for too much. And in the end, he, he's not coming back. Hopefully, Diallo can bridge that gap because Fanny will be a considerable loss. Silva, Alejandro Silva took some time to get used to MLS. He took some time to get used to Montreal. I think he was playing out of position recognised by Remy Gard and he was moved into that more forward area. And by the end of the season, he was terrific. And you were hoping he was going to come back and we are going to see how he could move on in the next year. But in fairness to Montreal, they got offered a quite substantial amount of money, a few few million dollars to to, to move him on. And I, th I think it was good business to do that. And the, the only issue is, a bit similar to TFC and, 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 and Javinko, you've got to replace him because he's one of your most important players. So yeah. with that spot and, and, and some money there, they've got to make sure they get it right and, and they bring in somebody of the, the same quality and uh, consistency of what Silva started producing near the end. Uh, Fab asks... What's your take on Saputo sort of stepping aside and uh, and hiring Kevin Gilmore uh, to lead the impact as a president? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Gilmore, obviously known, as we mentioned a little bit with Patrice, uh, known as um, Habs president, Jeff Molson's right-hand man, uh, VP of operations, LA Kings. Is, is there a Disney connection there as well, I think, a Walt Disney yep. executive, Sean? Um, I read his interview with Montreal Gazette this week where he talked about a lot of the times trying to galvanize the city and make sure they become a bit more connected. He talked a little bit what Patrice talked about where Champions League fans are not necessarily coming to watch the games. He said, you know, we don't need to compete with the Habs. Um, we need to embrace them. We can compete with both and fans can be fans of both. The one thing if I was an Impact fan, I'd be a little bit concerned about, and I know money is a little bit of a dif difficult discussion to talk about with this team right now. After all, you know, you mentioned Saputo said last year the team loses 12 million a year. Um, but he did say when he was looking at, you know, when he said 
quote, it is not a question of spending money. It's a question of spending money more intelligently. And he quoted and he said, in MLS, I looked at the last five years, seven teams made the playoffs 80% of the time out of those seven, two have been to only two have been the top 10 spenders. Now I did some work on that. Those teams are Columbus, Red Bulls, Kansas City, Seattle, DC, Dallas, and LA Galaxy. And he, he's quoting the five teams who want top 10 spenders. Well, okay, well, you want to be a Columbus, you want to be a Red Bulls, you want to be a Dallas or an SKC, you better be start producing players. Yeah. You know, that's a very different thing. And I think impact, it, it's, MLS is evolving too. Teams are spending more and more money. And if you don't want to go there, you've got to find a way of generating talent elsewhere. And if you're not doing that as well, you can't just sit around and go, well, those teams are doing it. We're going to do it as well. It's, it's not as easy as that. Yeah, you're going to get quickly left behind in yeah. modern MLS if, if you're not doing either of the areas. You either have to spend or you have to have a very good academy system. And, and, and Red Bulls have proved that. Columbus quietly spend money by the way yeah, you do. know the, the Valenzuela cost a little bit of money that, and that's a great point so interrupt. Yeah. the other thing is when people quote top 10 payrolls or whatever a lot of the time it's not including transfer fees sometimes no. transfer fee, some clubs include the transfer fee on the, on the some clubs don't yeah so that's so that it's it's very difficult to but you're right they do yeah. spend money on the quiet don't always be confused by you know the, the, the figures that are announced in, in players wages because you're right KJ there is transfer fees there's intricacies that, that go into that, that that mean that a club like Columbus spend considerably yeah. more than any of us think and we, you know we always think of them as as one of the smallest spenders Red but Bull they're not 7 million on Kaku exactly and they so. spent a lot of money on, on a player and, and they have in my opinion the, the best uh, academy system yeah. in, in North America it's incredible the number of players that they're they're churning out because they have a fantastic system they have a hotbed of talent and they've really tapped into that system and, and they're bringing it through and every lad that comes through the Red Bulls Academy knows he's going to get a chance if he's good enough That that's key there as well so um, yeah I, I think that for Montreal Impact they're, they're always going to need that star or two as well spending some money and, and hopefully they can uh, make it work because it is a business at the end of the day but um, I think they're always going to need at least one star uh, to be on the roster one last question to wrap this up, and I think it's actually perfect. Um, what position does Montreal still need to upgrade? Find another attacking player who can score goals. That, yeah. That's for me. Pressure off Piatti a little bit, yeah. isn't it? Probably someone who can play wide, right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I also think they could maybe be doing a creative midfielder. I think they're they're lacking a little bit of creativity. But as we said earlier, they're Ty Dare doesn't score many, does he? No, Ty Dare was brilliant at kind of driving forward with a ball. I'm I'm, I'm thinking more of a kind of guy who can pick his head up maybe yeah. slide slide a ball through that that kind of moment of magic or even just put his foot in the ball at the right time and, and play some passes tied there's more of a high octane guy isn't you don't he? get many goals from those three at all do you no you don't you really don't they're missing some and I, I would certainly play Tider and Piet and I think Azira and, and Krilicki showed yeah. some signs but he's, you know he's got some way to go that might be an area they try and target. They look pretty solid at the back for me and they've got some decent cover. I think they've got, got a, a decent MLS goalkeeper as well. Yep. Outstanding with Piatti. Hopefully Aruti works. Wide right or right midfield? Wide right. There you go. There's the answer. And that is not just about Scott Norwood's field goal in the Super Bowl. Sorry, I had just had some kind of Super Bowl joke Super in there. Super Bowl reference There today. you go. Uh, thanks Come on, for the listening. Rams. Thanks for listening. And I know many people listening to this already know the result of the uh, Patriots victory in the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> tickets are still available for our February 28th live taping of the podcast at the Rivoli. Please join us. We do love the interaction. And by the way, thanks so much for the Ask AFP questions this week. We just loved listening to some of your questions and doing our best to answer them. If you are interested in coming to the event, tickets remain $20. 
dollars and are available for purchase and link uh, you can just click the link at footballpodcast.com thanks to Shawnee thanks to Clay thanks to Dylan thanks to everybody behind the scenes here Stevie that was a pleasure good show again great show thanks to Patrice for joining us yeah it was brilliant Canadian legend and we'll speak to you next week Thank you.